Uh, good morning. Uh, such a great joy to be with you all this morning and a privilege to look at the Word of God with you. Uh, please open your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Matthew and Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I'll read from uh, verses 5 through 15. And it reads, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. As we have been going through the Lord's Prayer, there are a couple of things that we have already seen in this prayer. In this prayer, Jesus himself was teaching, was teaching his disciples how to pray. The first thing he showed them was that prayer should be directed to God alone. He showed them that all those who believe in him have a relationship with God the Father. God created everyone, but he's a father to those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ should acknowledge him as their father and should always come to him in prayer. As they come to him, they must know that they are coming to the transcendent God of heaven, who is not like any good but powerless earthly father. So it is important for those who come to God in prayer to understand God. Then we move to the next part and saw that we who come to God in prayer have the responsibility to hallow God's name. That means we must cause God's name to be exalted by revealing his goodness through our actions and our speech. And that should begin with the way we think about God. After that, we saw that believers should be longing for God's kingdom. That is the eternal rule of God. Although we will only experience the full expression of God's kingdom when Jesus himself comes back, we have the church which is currently a foretaste of his kingdom. 
Therefore, everyone who believes in Jesus should be a member of a biblical church and should faithfully serve with other believers. We also saw that all believers require to do or are required to do the will of God now on earth. They should look at the example of angels and heavenly beings as they demonstrate the will of God in heaven. Then last time we saw that God owns everything. Instead of hoping for good luck and leaving everything to chance, we must depend upon God even for daily provision. Now as we finish the series of the Lord's Prayer this morning, we are looking at the last two petitions that are found in verses 12 and 13. In these verses, I would like us to see three things we need to enjoy a closer relationship with God. To enjoy a closer relationship with God, our Father, we need to, one, consider our need for relational forgiveness. Two, be considerate of those who need our forgiveness. And three, pray for proactivity rather than reactivity. Let us look at our first point. To enjoy a closer relationship with God, our Father, we need to consider our need for relational forgiveness. Matthew 6, verse 12a, and forgive us our debts. Every believer knows that they are sinners who deserve the wrath of God. Every believer knows that they have been rescued from eternal destruction that we all deserve because of our rebellion against God. One of the reasons we gather together every Sunday is because we owe our allegiance to Christ who has changed our destiny. We know the seriousness of being rescued from the very door of hell and being given the life we did not work for. So we gather to praise, for the, to praise God for the forgiveness of sin. We gather to worship God with our voices as we sing together to our Father who has set us free. We gather to listen to his word as he shows us how we ought to conduct ourselves now, not following our previous ways that left us guilty. We come boldly to the throne of grace, knowing that God in Christ has declared us not guilty. As a believer, it is significant to understand the extent of your forgiveness or your justification. In the book of Leviticus, Moses spoke about escape boat. Leviticus 16, verse 21 to 22 says, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the life goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Now, this goat was foreshadowing Jesus Christ, the one who was to bear the iniquities of the people. On the day of atonement, this goat was sent away and it symbolically carried the sins of the people. It was let go in the wilderness so that no one would find it. And that meant the sins of the people it was carrying would never be found again. 
Now, if you are a believer, this is what took place in Christ Jesus. Jesus embodied what the scapegoat represented. Because of Christ, your sins are nowhere to be found if you are a believer. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Micah 7 verse 19 says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. Isaiah 1 verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though they, rather they shall be as white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Friends, all this shows that when God forgives us, we are completely free. Now, all those who are in Christ are not just forgiven, but their sins have been completely removed from them. Now, this is good news. This is the truth of justification. This is the truth that should fill our hearts with gratitude. However, some people misunderstand this truth and maybe they even misuse this truth. Some people believe that since God has completely forgiven us, we should just forget about indwelling sin. But Jesus here shows us that we must continually be mindful of our imperfections. Maybe you think because you are justified, sin is no longer a big deal. But Jesus here shows us that sin is still a big deal. If you are a true believer, sin will not affect your eternal destiny, but it will affect your relationship with God. Friends, the most important thing is not that you are not going to hell, but that you have a relationship with the Father. How foolish it would be for a child to think, as long as my father does not throw me out of the house, nothing else matters. Imagine a child who disrespects his parents every day. A child who is not interested in hearing what his parents say. A child who lives as if there are no rules at home. But one thing matters to him, that his parents love him and will not throw him out of their home. Friends, this is how many people think about Christianity. To them, Christianity is about avoiding hell. Paul Washer said many people would gladly want to go to heaven even if God was not there. Because they believe heaven is the only thing that matters. They don't care if they have a relationship with God or not. They just want to go to heaven. Oh friends, today I want you to know that the glory of Christianity is not a place but a person. A glory of Christianity is not heaven but God himself. As Christians, our goal is to please the Father. As Christians, our goal is to obey the Father. As Christians, our goal is to enjoy the Father. As Christians, our goal is to honor the Father. Our goal is to have a good relationship with our Father. It is not just about heaven and hell. What is the chief end of man? To go to heaven? No, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is what Westminster Catechism put it. It is about God, 
Now, for that reason, we are totally against sin, primarily because it affects our relationship with God, not because it sends us to hell. Even as believers, after sinning, it is difficult to study the Word of God. It is difficult to pray. It is difficult to do ministry. All because sin hinders our fellowship with God and other believers. So as we see sin in our lives, we should not ignore it. Instead, we must acknowledge it and take ownership of it. In the Old Testament, there was a man called Nehemiah. This man was a faithful leader in Israel. And together with Ezra, they were responsible for the restoration of the Jews in their homeland after the Babylonian captivity. Nehemiah was a cupbearer serving the king of Persia, faithfully so, when he was told that the wall of Jerusalem was broken down. As soon as he heard that, Nehemiah prayed to God. Now listen to his prayer. Nehemiah 1 verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. That I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Now, Nehemiah was not directly responsible for the ill fortune that the nation was facing. However, he identified with the sinful people, acknowledging and even taking ownership of his own sin. He understood that sin affects a relationship with God. Likewise, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus shows that we should not excuse or explain our sin. Instead, we should take ownership of them and confess them to God. We should confess that we have sinned and ask forgiveness. We are eternally justified, but on a relational level, we still need to come to the Father and ask forgiveness. No matter how much your earthly parents love you, when you mess up, you still go to them to ask forgiveness. You don't assume that because they love you, they'll forgive you. Yet, when it comes to God, we sin and go on with our lives, thinking that because we are Christians, God should just get over it. Jesus says that is not the way it should be. All his children we owe, or rather as his children, we all owe God total obedience. However, because of our indwelling sin, we cannot obey him fully. As forgiven as we are, as justified as we are, as purified as we are, and as transformed as we are, we still cannot obey God perfectly. Therefore, we need to consistently humble ourselves and ask God to forgive us whenever we fail. In Matthew 18, Jesus told the parable about a man who owed his master a debt he could never settle. Seeing that this man could never settle his debt, the master ordered him to be sold together with his wife and everything that he owned. Matthew 18, verse 26 says, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. 
Now, like this servant, we owe God, our master, a debt we can't circle. However, we are not like this delusional servant who thought he could circle this debt. We understand we can't circle the debt that we owe. Our prayer is not have patience with us and we will pay you everything. Our prayer is forgive us our debt. Our prayer is not, Lord, give us another chance. Our prayer is, Lord, be merciful to us, sinners. We desire His mercy even after being saved. Not because we want to avoid discipline or hell, but because every true believer desires to have close fellowship with the Father. And that cannot happen when sin has not been dealt with relationally. 1 John 1 verse 6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Beloved, if we do not desire close fellowship with the Father, even our salvation is questionable. And if we desire close fellowship with the Father, we should not allow sin to hinder it. Hence, the need for forgiveness. James 4, verse 7 to 8 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, in this passage, James talks about submitting to God. This has to do with obeying his commands and acknowledging his authority. Then he calls us to resist the devil, to stand against him, which will cause him to flee. Friends, this is what we are longing for as believers. We just want to submit to God, and we just want the devil to flee, to just leave us alone, then we are okay. James could have left it there as well. But as if he was saying, that is not enough. He went on to say, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, James was saying, desire an intimate relationship with God. Stop seeing God as a transcendent but distant being that stands like a security guard at the gate of heaven, just waiting to allow you to enter. God is indeed a transcendent father. However, he is also an immanent father who takes care of every detail of your life, not only because he is powerful, but also because he loves you. Brothers and sisters, the only reason we can say forgive us our debt in prayer is because God's hands are continually wide open, ready to embrace us as a loving father whenever we come to him after our failure. As Christians, when we say forgive us our debt, we are not coming to God as a judge who is yet to give a verdict, but we are coming to him as a father who will forgive and also comfort and encourage us. We ask forgiveness from the Father, who has already forgiven us sins that will condemn us. We ask forgiveness from the Father, who knows all our wickedness, but is still ready to forgive us. We ask forgiveness from the Father, who has already promised to forgive us even our worst sins. Oh friends, the reason we don't like uh, acknowledging our faults and asking forgiveness is because we are prideful. But in his kindness, God calls us or trains us to practice humility. 
And one way we can learn to practice humility, as we see in the Lord's Prayer, is by acknowledging our sin, taking ownership of it without shifting blame. The first man, Adam, sinned and blamed everyone around him. When God asked him, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? He said, the woman gave me the fruit and I ate. So he blamed the woman. But that's not all. He didn't just say the woman. But he said, the woman you God gave to be with me. So technically, he also blamed God. The fallen man said, I sinned because, which is shifting blame. But the perfect man is calling us to say, I sinned, of course, which is taking responsibility of our sin. Now, we move to our second point. To enjoy a closer relationship with God, our Father, we need to be considerate of those who need our forgiveness. Let us look at our text, Matthew 6, verse 12, and forgive us our debt as we also have forgiven our debtors. One of the problems that sin brought to us is selfishness. In almost everything, people want to know what they will benefit, but really consider what others will benefit from them. Ask someone who is looking for a job what is their most dominant thought. They will tell you they just want to see themselves in that permanent position and having a decent salary. Now friends, that is not bad. It is good to think about your benefits as you look for a job. However, after getting that job, do you ever sit and think about what they should benefit from you? Do you ever say to yourself, I want to do my job to the best of my ability? Do you ever say to yourself, I want to arrive early and be faithful in my workplace? Do you ever say, I want this company to benefit from my skills, not so that they will give me a promotion, but because this is my responsibility? Do you ever think like that? Or you work hard for two days and then complain about the salary? Our prayer to God is forgive us even as we forgive others. This does not mean our forgiveness should be as perfect as God, but it means forgiveness should be there. Now, what expectations, as we go back to another example, what expectations do you have from the partner that you intend to marry? You probably have a list of what to look for before you marry someone, which is, which is a good thing as well. But do you, ever, or do you have a list of what you must work on before you marry someone? Maybe you complain about someone who has never greeted you at church. But do you ever greet people yourself at church? The list goes on and on. The point is we often look for benefits that we are not willing to offer to others. So Jesus here shows us that by the time we request forgiveness from the Father, we should have forgiven those who need our forgiveness. What we ask the Father to do is expected from us, his children. The Lord's Prayer does not only show us our need for forgiveness, but it also shows us our responsibility to forgive. Beloved, we are required to forgive, we are commanded to forgive, and we are expected to forgive. 
We cannot perfectly forgive, but we must earnestly forgive. Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones said, all I ask is that you should forgive me in the same manner, not to the same degree, because all I do is imperfect. Now, brothers and sisters, as imperfect as we are, Jesus shows us that it is our duty to forgive. As we previously said, Jesus here was teaching his disciples a pattern of prayer. So these things that, you know, these are the things that should occupy our minds as we go to God in prayer. As we ask God forgiveness, we should be thinking about the ones that we should also forgive. The reason we continually ask God to forgive us is because we will continually sin against him. But also the reason we will ask God to forgive us in the same manner as we forgive others, it is because they will continually sin against us. Friends, we are sinners who live with other sinners. And as we need forgiveness from God, other sinners need forgiveness from us. If you talk to the so-called church dropouts, they will tell you how much they were hurt by the people in the church. Now, Jesus here is assuring us that people will indeed hurt us. But the solution he gives is not drop out, but forgive. Beloved, let go of the false view that the church should be a place where perfect people who do not hurt each other meet. As we are here, we are a bunch of people who strive for unity, but sometimes we will fail and hurt each other. However, the good news is although we hurt each other as believers, we are also learning to acknowledge our sin and forgive each other as we are being transformed by our Lord Jesus Christ together. Friends, if you do not learn to forgive, you will struggle to live with other people. Sometimes the problem is not that the situation is beyond remedy, but that your heart is hardened and you you refuse to forgive. Beloved, I understand that you are hurt, but maybe you need to forgive instead of quitting that job. You need to forgive instead of disowning that family member. You need to forgive instead of leaving that church. You need to forgive instead of posting about it on social media. You need to forgive instead of taking revenge. Forgive us our debt as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we saw earlier, even though this is not talking about the same degree of forgiveness, it is definitely talking about the same man. So this prayer is an indictment to us if we do not forgive in the same manner we would like God to relationally forgive us. Think about this. After saying, I forgive you, but please never talk to me again, would you be comfortable to say, Lord, please forgive me in the same manner I've just forgiven this person? After saying, I forgive you, but I want nothing to do with you, would you be able to say, God, please forgive me in the same manner as I have forgiven that person? How many times do we ask God things that we are not willing to give others? Friends, Jesus is not saying it is easy to forgive, but he is saying we must be willing to forgive. We should not just sit and say forgiving others is difficult. Instead, we must strive to forgive them. A lady called Corrie Ten Boom 
and her family played a huge role in protecting some Jews during World War II. As the Nazis wanted to destroy the Jews, this family decided to risk their lives to shelter Jews and all those who were wanted by the Nazis. Their home became a hiding place for the fugitives as they intended to live out their Christian faith even in difficult times. Unfortunately, this family was betrayed, their house was raided, and they were arrested. Cory's father died in prison, and her sister also died in a few months. In a space of a few months, Cory lost her father, her sister, and everything because of the Nazis. What the Nazis had done to Cory was unforgivable in human terms. But Cory forgave the Nazis and later spread the message of forgiveness throughout the world. Cory said forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. By this, she meant forgiveness is a willingness to let go of anger and bitterness towards someone regardless of how you feel about the situation. Forgiveness does not unify pain. Forgiveness does not mean you will forget about what happened, but it means you will show mercy to the offender by treating him or her in the manner they don't deserve. Isn't that the same way God forgives us? Isn't that the same way God treats us? Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Beloved, God is all-knowing. He knows exactly what you did last night. He sees every wickedness that is in your heart, but He does not treat you according to what your sin deserves. That is forgiveness. The question is, are you willing to do the same to others? Probably all of you here would agree that it is difficult to forgive. However, sometimes that is not the reason we fail to forgive. Sometimes we fail to, for to forgive because we are not willing to do it. Pride doesn't allow us to do it. Pride is so dangerous that it can make you stay angry and will not allow you to, for to forgive someone even when you've forgotten what they did to you. Some people became enemies when they were still young. They don't remember what made them enemies, but they are not willing to back down. They are not willing to forgive each other. Some people inherited beefs from their parents. Now they hate their cousins and are not willing to forgive them, but they don't even know what caused the conflict at the first place. Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray that that may not be a case with us. When someone is not willing to forgive, he or she is making a statement not only against the one who is not forgiven, but against God. In one of his sermons, uh, Simmons Vody Baucom spoke about the danger of unforgiveness. According to him, when you are not willing to forgive a believer whom Christ died for, you are saying, although Christ has paid a penalty for your sin and the Father has forgiven you, you are still not worthy to be forgiven by me. And when you fail to forgive an unbeliever, you are saying, although God will judge you and you will pay for all your sins, that is not enough. You must also be judged by me and I must punish you for your sins. 
So in other words, to, uh, to refuse to forgive is elevating yourself by making your judgments to be paramount to God's judgment. And friends, there are consequences that comes when you do not forgive. Matthew 6, verse 14 to 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this sounds scary. The first question that comes to mind is, does this mean if I fail to forgive, I can't be saved since I won't be forgiven by God? No, that is not what this passage is saying. Remember earlier, we mentioned that this is a prayer for those who are already saved. This is a prayer for those who are already believers. Therefore, Jesus is not saying, if you fail to forgive, you will lose your salvation. In fact, verse 15 says, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Notice that Jesus is still saying, God is your father, even when you fail to forgive. So the issue is not about losing your salvation. Now someone will say, oh, that's better. No, it's not better. Remember, earlier we said our goal as believers is to be closer to God. We are not just satisfied by the fact that we have eternal life. We want to experience God as our Father. We want uh, to experience God as a Father we can call upon in dark days. We already know that God is our Father, but we also want to experience His love. We want to experience His comfort, His peace, His tender care every day. Now, these are some benefits we receive from being close to God. If we don't experience this, we will struggle with doubt. We will always complain. And sometimes we will not be sure if we are really saved. And our, Christians, our Christian life will be burdensome. We will not have joy. When God withholds some of his benefits from us because we fail to forgive others, we will be miserable Christians. Jesus, therefore, calls us to forgive. This leads us to our last point. To enjoy a closer relationship with God our Father, we need to pray for proactivity rather than reactivity. Let us look at our text, Matthew 6, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Brothers and sisters, it is true that we come to God or we cannot come to God in any other way than through Christ in whom our sins are forgiven. Today we are children of God because we have been forgiven. Even on a relational level, as we have seen, we need forgiveness from God. Christianity is a religion of those who have been forgiven and who continually look for forgiveness. However, in verse 13, Jesus shows us what should be our priority. It is good that our reaction after sinning is turning to God for forgiveness. But Jesus shows us that we must be proactive and deal with the temptations instead of waiting to sin before we act. In this petition, we call for help as we want to deal with the temptations themselves. Friends, our problem or our greatest problem is sin. 
but we are in serious danger if we only look at sin and ignore the things that lead to sin. We are in serious danger if we ignore the occasions of sin. When we say, lead us not into temptation, we are asking God to help us identify and also to help us deal with temptations before they can lead us to sin. St. Augustine said, a saint's, whose life, or, or, a saint's whole life is temptations. Elijah, who could shut heaven by prayer, could not shut his heart from temptations. Oh friends, if I may add, Solomon, the wisest man on earth, was not wise enough to deal with temptations. David, the greatest king who slew the giant Goliath, uh, could not slay temptations in his own life. Beloved, if so many godly men and godly women suffered because of temptations, what other solutions we have other than to cry to God and say, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Beloved, temptations come to us every day and from every direction. Unless God is our only hope, we will easily fall into temptations. Now, the question is, where do these temptations come from? Before we blame someone else, let us look at what James says. James 1, verse 13 to 14 says, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So, as we see, temptations come from within. Our own hearts are the most dangerous tempters. Brothers and sisters, our desires have often proved to be a stumbling block in our lives. There is no danger than the danger that comes from within. Like a mother who wants a child about rebellious kids that he surrounds himself with, not knowing that the person she's warning is actually the ringleader of those rebels. We often ignore our own hearts or our own desires when we try to deal with temptations. We look at everyone else and when we see their mischief, we identify them as our own chief tempters. However, James shows that our hearts are often the breeder of evil. We look at ourselves and say, you know, I'm not perfect, but I have a beautiful heart. But Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, their heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Oh, beloved, as you identify enemies without, do not neglect the enemy within, which is your own sinful heart. A heart that forgets God, a heart that does not find pleasure in God, is a heart that is susceptible to temptations and a heart that cannot resist temptations. So as we say, lead us not into temptation, we are asking God to transform even our own hearts so that we may overcome temptation. Israel was a chosen nation. God called them to be different, and the only way they could honor God, it was when they were not like other nations. Because they were walking with God, because they were the nation that was chosen by God, they had a lot of enemies. 
But here is the thing. Even though they had many enemies, they never realized that they were actually their worst enemy. All the pain, all the suffering, and even captivity were self-inflicted wounds. Now, as Christians, like Israel, we will continually face enmity. But if we don't deal with our own desires, we will fall into every kind of temptation and blame everyone instead of looking at ourselves. Against our desires, we should cry and say, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from our own evil desires. Temptations come from our own evil heart. But temptations also come from the devil. 1 Peter 1, 5 verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering have been experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, it is important to understand that the devil is not omnipotent. The devil is not omnipresent. But together with his forces, they are actively seeking to overwhelm believers with temptations. 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. O Christians, we are surrounded by the devices of the eve of the devil everywhere we go. Martin Luther said, I'm afraid that schools will prove the very gates of hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures and engraving them in the hearts of the youth. More than 500 years later, the schools are continually changing curriculum so that the devil's teaching will be accepted by the kids as all as early as possible. Go check the textbooks that the kids are using. You will see how they are slowly introducing evolution so that there may, no, there may be no place for God in the heart of your kids. Look at the media. The media is teaching everyone to embrace homosexuality and every other sexual sin in such a way that there is rarely a show where these are not on full display. In addition to that, there's been a couple of times when broadcasting stations seem to have equated the name of Jesus to swear words. This is how they do it. Just like they do with swear words, when the name of Jesus is mentioned, they will put a beep sound so that people may not hear it. But when they, they don't mind when someone is talking about ancestors or even other religions, obviously this is what they will tell you. They will tell you that the aim is to teach everyone that they should be considerate of others and not force their religion on them. But friends, there is hypocrisy because all their shows are forcing a lot of ungodly things on us. What is it that they are doing? These are devil devices that he has set. Oh, beloved, I wish you could open your eyes and see that the devices of the devil are everywhere. And if you think that does not include churches, you are mistaken. One of the devil's greatest temptations is convincing the church that, uh, or its members that they should attract the world by looking like it. Many people want to be like the world but in the church. So they take the world and bring it to the church. Some people want to prove like in taverns. 
So what is it that they do? They, they bring disco lights and those dance moves to the church. They want to bring the world to the church. In some places, the only difference between a bar and the church is that in the church there is no alcohol. Some of you might be surprised to hear that in Pretoria there is a Christian nightclub. Because the world or people of the church want to be like the world. There is a Christian nightclub called uh, the Shepherd's Cross. Here in Pretoria, there are professing, professing Christians who really book their tickets and go there to enjoy themselves. All because they want to be like the world, but still belong or be identified as members of the church. Friends, the worst thing we could desire is to fit in to this world. The worst thing we could desire is to do things like everyone else. The worst thing we could desire is to allow the devil to set the trend and we follow it. Because that is what he wants. He wants to define what fun, what, what, what fun is and then we must adapt it to our own lives. Now, Jesus, in this uh, prayer, he calls us to be proactive, to see the schemes of the devil to see the deception of our own hearts and to ask God to help us overcome those temptations before we even sin. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our great God, you alone are holy. Oh, Father, we know that, Lord, in everything you say, you are right. Lord, we do pray that you may help us first, oh, Lord, that we may humble ourselves. And, Lord, acknowledge our own sins. Admit, oh, Lord, or confess our sins to you. Because, Lord, our aim is to draw closer to you. We don't want any sin to hinder us from drawing closer to you. Help us, therefore, Lord, that we may do that. Even, Lord, as we ask you to forgive us, help us, Lord, that we may also forgive others. Lord, we do pray that you may give what we request from you. Help us to give it, Lord, to others as well. That we may be believers, Lord, who forgive others. Believers who know that others will sin against us. Lord, we do pray also that you may help us, O oh Lord, to be a proactive, O oh Lord, to look at the schemes, O oh Lord, of the devil, to understand them, to know them, so that, Father, we may be able to deal with them. Be glorified, Lord, in our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.